Welcome to the Real Rural Women's Leadership podcast series. This project is funded through the Department of Agriculture, Water and Environment. It is led by Care Ballon in St. George, Ballon Shire in southwest Queensland in conjunction with a team of researchers led by Dr. Sarah Casey at the University of the Sunshine Coast. The team includes Dr. Gail Crimmins, Dr. Saskia de Klerk and Dr. Karen Hands alongside Professor Jackie Hewitt from Griffith University. This podcast series is about building women's capacity, empowerment, strategic communication, and business leadership skills. This series is eclectic. We interview community and business leaders, entrepreneurs, academics, communication and media experts, an empowerment and confidence leader, and CEOs, the agitators and the advocates. Our hope is that this series might act as an inspiration and information toolkit for others. You can find more information about our project at www.realruralwomensleadership.com. All episodes contain show notes about the guests with links to their stories. So settle in and enjoy the series as together we chat with these remarkable women. Welcome to Real Rural Women's Leadership podcast series. My name is Dr. Gail Crimmins, and I'm an academic at the University of Sunshine Coast, Queensland. I'm currently Deputy Head Learning and Teaching for the School of Business and Creative Industries. My research is committed to engaging women's stories, and I'm involved in research projects aimed at both identifying and building the capacity of women's leadership and business capacity in rural, regional and remote communities. In this series, I meet with inspiring women who generously share their stories of resilience, strategy, and kindness that acknowledge the challenges that some women face, but also that inspire and make us smile. In this podcast, I will chat with Robin McConaughey. Robin is a professional storyteller with over three decades as a rural reporter for the ABC Country Hour was a director of the National Press Club and is a member of the Queensland Rural Press Club's Hall of Fame. Her journey has taken her across Australia, telling stories from the back of a ute in the middle of drought to the corridors of the federal parliament. Her new podcast, Postcards from the Bush, with Robin McConaughey, builds on her experience and love of the bush. Robin very generously discusses her career journeys with us, the lessons she's learned along the way. She offers advice to women on leadership and the importance of integrity in all that we do. More specifically, Robin will discuss rural reporting, rural journalism and oral history, where she muses about how people like to sticky beak over the fence to see what challenges people face and how they face them. The importance of being open to audiences, to give a little bit of yourself and to be personal but not private. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy. Welcome, Robin. Good afternoon, Gail. How are you? Oh, I'm good. I'm a bit nervous about this. I think it's a really interesting experiment that you're doing with uh, leadership in with rural women because there are so many women out there who've got so much to give. And I think a lot of them maybe just lack confidence to, you know, bite the bullet. Well, we're really, really thrilled to have you join us today. So I thought we might start with finding out a little bit about yourself so that the listeners at home can can know a little bit about who you are and what you've done. And that will really help them locate some of your narrative and some of your strategy, if you like, into some context. So do you, do you want to kick off with, you know, what your career journey has been and what you've learned along the way? Yeah, I studied ag science at Melbourne University in the 70s and then I did a diploma of education because at the time really no one in our year got a job. There was a terrible drought on in across eastern Australia and so I thought a diploma of education would set me up for life. But at the same time, I was always interested in asking questions. I think that was what I was known for at university. You know, people would get sick of me asking questions during lectures. So I was a bit of an interrogator, even when I was at university. I was always interested, always curious, wanted to know why things were the way they were, whether it was in lectures. So I did a dip and then I taught at a Chuka Tech. I actually taught ag science. I taught uh, wool classing, which was quite amusing since I'd never done wool classing in my life. And um, then I took uh, a bit of a trip overseas for three years and that was a really growing up period. You know, I think everybody in the 70s, every young Australian in the 70s wanted to go overseas. So I I travelled overland to Europe and then worked all around Europe for three years and I taught English as a foreign language to 
English. I taught English to Chilean refugees. I taught skiing in Scotland. I worked in a kibbutz in Israel. I drove minicabs in London. I worked in a zoo. Uh, I think I could actually write a story about that. I could write a story <laughs> about working in a children's zoo. And then I came back and I actually taught at Geelong Grammar in Victoria, which is a, a very elite public school in Victoria. And I taught egg science and environmental science. So it was my first experience of teaching environmental science. And I think I was one step ahead of the class in terms of what I was doing. And then while I was at Geelong Grammar, I bumped into a friend of mine who was at Melbourne University, who I'd been to university with. And we're actually at the Melbourne show, the Royal Melbourne show, and my students were supposed to be um, my students were supposed to be doing the rounds and answering their questionnaire, but I think they're all down playing basketball in the play um, <laughs> area. Anyhow, I bumped into a friend of mine and I said, what do you do? And she said, she's a rural reporter with the ABC. And I said, what's that? And I said, what's that like? And she said, oh, look, it's brilliant. It's just a, the best job. So a year later, I, I actually, I was teaching at a girls' school in Victoria called Tintern. I was teaching ag there and science and photography and various other subjects. And I bumped, and I, I actually applied for a job with the ABC as a trainee. And so I started a 35-year career as a rural reporter with the ABC um, in South Australia, in Queensland, New South Wales, 10 years in Canberra as the um, national political reporter. And then after, in the late 90s, I moved up to Queensland and was executive producer of the Queensland Country Art for really the last 20 years. So then I retired. And so I suppose the Nuts and bolts of my career is as a rural reporter, as somebody asks the questions, not answers them. <laughs> so have you continued to work since you've retired or is it just beat up reading your favourite novels, working in the garden? What have you been doing since you've retired? Well, I've taken up golf, which is, um, well, I, I, I played golf in Canberra. <clears throat> I was at, actually, and I loved it. And since retiring, I took up golf. But there's only so many games of golf that you can play a week. And my brain is really active. I love rural reporting. I love storytelling. So I decided to, I started doing a bit of oral history for people. in the, So I've done a few oral histories for people and I enjoy doing that, allowing. And the motivation for that was that I knew very little about my father and I always wanted to know a bit more about him, his story, and I sort of felt that this was a way of allowing other people to collect the story of their family, their friends, their uncle, their aunt, their father, their mother, and uh, record it. And so the human voice is just such a wonderful tool. It really is a beautiful tool to allow people to tell their story in their words, to put it on a USB, poke it in the car, and to you know, allow the next generation or even the current generation, even the people who their story is being told, allowing them to hear their story or to hear their story from the horse's mouth, so to speak. So that's been really fun. I undertook a WIRE program, women. It's really a program that was run by the University of Southern Queensland for women in regional areas who want to start an enterprise. I felt like a bit of a, um, an imposter in that one because it was really for rural women who wanted to start an enterprise. I'm not a rural woman. I live in Canberra, in Brisbane, but... My connection with rural Australia was just so strong after reporting. That's where I felt connection lay. So, I, And then I started a podcast, which is really about some amazing women in the bush who are doing some incredibly good things and just letting them tell their story, what the challenges, what the opportunities, you know, a bit like a SWOT analysis. And also then the Country Life asked me to do an opinion piece for them, for the Country Life, which I found really difficult because as a reporter, I report on stories. I don't give my opinion. I don't think anyone gives a, you know, they don't give <laughs> We'll pick that bit out. <laughs> and so that was, that was really challenging. But I think it's sort of like I challenged myself. I had many opportunities to pull out, but I kept going. And I think they were very generous in allowing me to do that for a couple of years. And then more recently, I was at Beef Week in May and I, I ran a whole lot of seminars on in-conversation seminars with women in the beef industry at the Beef uh, 21 and bumped into Victoria Carey, who's the editor of Grazy Her, and she asked me if I'd like to write for them. I said no, because I hate writing. 
Anyhow, <laughs> she uh, came back to me a few weeks later and asked me to if I'd like to do an in-conversation where I interview people and then it's virtually a, sort of an edited transcript of the interview that I would do with people. So I've done a couple of those in the winter edition with Annabelle Tully, which this week I was won an award for with um, rural Pre- the Rural Press Club. It was oh, a highly congratulations. story. Yeah, it was really exciting. But the most exciting part about it was that she loved it. She really loved the story, or she said she loved it. And then I put her, her story up on my podcast this week, and it's called The Art of Resilience because she's an artist, she's a sheep producer in Ikulpi, and she's had a couple of really bad bouts of breast cancer and how she survived those. And the second one was about succession planning on the farm, the biggest challenge for any any farming family really, and that was with wonderful woman, Nikki, Nikki Marnie at Gyranda Station, and that was in the, winter, the summer edition of Gracie Her magazine. And they're really challenging, but they're really fun. So next year we'll kick off on I doing some oral history, I'll do a bit more podcasting and writing or interviewing for Gracie Her. My other little adventure though is and this was really fun. This was really fun. This year I went on the Outback Masters, which is a golf tournament around Western Queensland. And in each town I did interviews with the golfers and People on the road, people who are women who are really making a difference in Western Queensland towns. So I'd record them on my iPhone. I'd hop into my tent at night because I was camping. I'd edit them up on my iPad and then I'd post them on the internet. And so as I I did, I think about 32 while I was on Mm -hmm. the road, six or seven weeks. And it was really fun because it gave me a purpose for meeting people in the town. I think a lot of journalists are introverts. And they just love having a microphone in their hand so that gives them an excuse to go and meet people. And so that was really fun because it gave me something to do in the tent. It gave me a reason to meet people and allowed me to tell stories about Western Queensland, which I really love. God, I can't believe you fit it all in. I can't believe that you'd call that retiring because I think that that's, that's more than most people would do in their kind of full-time appointments. It's, it's an amazing amount of work, Robin. You have a, an amazing capacity for work. I'm going to go back to something that you mentioned right at the beginning there when you were talking about curiosity, that you, you, know, you, you were always curious and you always wanted to, you always ask questions and were interested in stories and people's histories and stories, etc. So that sense of curiosity, would you say that that has what has predominantly contributed to your professional achievement and success? Have you got any other any other characteristics or traits, skills that you think have really contributed to your career journey and your success so far? I think fundamentally curiosity is really important to be a journalist. If you're not interested, you might as well not do the job. Mm-hmm. I think there are a lot of other trays that go with that you need to do research so you you, it's all it's great to be curious but unless you go in knowing what the story is that you're going to tell you're not going to be able to tell that story you're not going to be able to ask questions you're not going you're just going to be a listener Mm -hmm. and it's great to be a listener in oral history but you still got to direct the direct the story that you're doing so as a journalist curiosity research determination being competitive especially in the world of journalism you were you always want to beat the other media uh, hard work and commitment. If if you're not committed, if you don't work hard, I mean, it doesn't mean you work as your life, hmm. but if you don't work hard, if you're not committed, you might as well not do it. I think I was lucky. I think reasonably good for, voice for radio. I never knew that, but I think that's lucky that I have got that. I was interested in the stories. I had an ag background, so that meant I could connect with people. So I was lucky in that a sense. And I love the medium. I love, I really love the medium of radio. Give me radio any day over television. I've got a good face for radio. Um, <laughs> but, and it, the spontaneity of it too. There's nothing more fun than grilling a politician live on air. I can tell you. That. <laughs> There's nothing more fun than being out in the bush, sitting on a rock, talking to somebody about their story. And so I think some of those traits are very important. The other things is building networks. And I think the networks that you build are just so fundamentally important. You can't, and that's probably where I found the difference between working professionally and in retirement is the network came naturally to me when I was working with the ABC because I had to be in the room. I had to be out at the event. 
And so I graduated and I, I loved it. I really loved it. But you built up a network and it was in the days really before social media. So really all the audience had was that voice on the radio, but you were always out there. So we didn't have social media really at all when I first started in radio. So networks are terribly important and you've got to work on that really hard. And I was listening to the woman who was the CEO of Virgin and she really emphasised the importance of building those networks and I think you have to do that. Do you have any tips or any strategies that you would share? How do you build your network? I know you're saying sometimes it's workplace and, and that they, they come to you, those, those interactions and those networks are in the same place at the same time. If you're not in that kind of privileged position, how might you build your network? How would you start that, Robin? Well, I joined Curan, which is the Queensland Rural, Rural, Regional and Remote Women's Network early on because I wanted to build that connection. And that, that's helped in, in building that network. I think you, you, it's like a spider's web. You get one connection and you go to the next. And it's very much the same in journalism if you're chasing a story. You have a starting point and you may not know the end point but you, you, who do you know, who do you know, who do you know, who do you know, and you make those connections. And I think one of the really important things that one of my rural reporters said to me really early on, and it was a bit of an eye-opener for me, was when she said, when you ring somebody up, and it's not meant to be sanctimonious, but when you ring somebody up, and mostly when I first started in journalism, you'd ask for the farmer, you'd ask for the bloke, and she said to me, Get to know the wife, get to know the family, you'll get better stories, but always connect with both sides of the, you know, the members of that that family, the husband, the wife. You know, you're not just talking to the farmers. Your audience, 50% of the people in rural Australia are women and they probably do the books and they probably know more about what's going on than the blokes anyhow. But you, so, so it's that spider web that you're trying to build and, and following up. Mm. And, and it going out, like last weekend I went out to the Dolby Stockwell sale. They had a long lunch there. And maybe you won't know anyone there, maybe you'll feel uncomfortable, but if you meet two or three people or meet a couple of people that you do know, you know, that 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 that's really helpful. Yeah, and people are generally nice, aren't they? You know, when I've approached people and I've had a chat with them, even if they're strangers, it's really rare that somebody will be cold or rude or or non-engaging it's very very rare so so it's it's often just putting yourself out there isn't it it is and be honest be who Mm. you are don't 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 fool people if you don't know something ask and I think you know your integrity is at risk or not at risk but your integrity is something that you own and you value and so if you that's I think one of the things that I had a reputation for was that just the simple honesty and I think that's really important. Don't don't fool people. Well, that's right, because you can get your first gig, but you'll never get your second or your third if you don't act ethically and with integrity. So, so it's a reciprocity as well, isn't it? When you're networking, it's not just about what that person might be able to do for you or bring to you, but it's also the consideration of what you might facilitate for them or what you might also provide them. So, yeah, I, I was, think that that's a really good part of networking as well. It's like when you're going for a job. Don't just ask what the company can give you. What can you give the company? What can I offer you in my yeah. service? Or what can I offer you as um, doing oral history or doing podcasting? You know, I mean, I, you know, what do people get out of talking to me? Well, they don't get an awful lot. Maybe they get a bit of fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd be surprised. I actually think that we need a multitude of stories, don't we? Because if we just have one set of stories, we get a very skewed concept of who we are as a people. And, and it could be predominantly just people's stories from the metropolitan areas. So if we didn't have that diversity of story, that diversity of narrative, then we'd actually be, a, a, I think we wouldn't have a full, full understanding of who we are as a nation and who the people are within this country. So, so I think people get out of it that they contribute as well, their story to the fabric of stories and the narratives, the tapestry, if you like, of narratives available. So I think that I think it's a great privilege to have an opportunity to share your story. 
I think so, and I think people love to sticky beak over the fence. They <laughs> yes. want to know what people are doing on the no, The pastors may not be greener, but they yeah. want to know what the other people are doing. What were the challenges that they faced? How did they overcome those changes? And that human story, mm. uh, um, I think it's that just that human touch. If you can give a little bit of yourself, personal but not private, that was one of the rules we had in radio, personal but not private. If you can give a little bit of yourself, then other people can make that connection. And they love hearing the stories about Bush, particularly people. I mean, one of the goals I really had really was not just about sticky feet, was with bridging this so-called city-country divide was really what we're on about. And a program like Landline does that very, very well. Something like the Country Hour, which I worked at, really mostly preaches to the converted. So does Country Life. I remember a... A friend of mine who was head of the council, the Cattlemen's Union, which morphed into Agforce years later, said, really, country people need to be on the front page of the Australian rather than on the front page of the country hour because if they want your story heard. So you want your story heard in a multiple range of, multiple range of areas. So that's, that's another point that I think is really important. Yeah, and another contribution that you've made as well in your career. So in terms of... I was just going to say, I think things like Bar from the Bush Queensland, which is I did a bit of volunteer work with them, that's a terrific way of bridging the city-country divide. You know, people people in the city love stuff from the bush and whether you're out in a country town and you go to a local shop or you go to, you know, their shop in the city, I think it's a really good way of that, making that connection and chatting to the people who are, who are there. Yeah, and I think it also, you know, buying from the bush is a very kind of honest exchange, isn't it? We we purchase most of our kind of, you know, dairy produce and whatever, but but actually other produce created in the bush as well, I think supports those communities and, and supports that kind of connection as well. So in terms of the people, obviously you've got this amazing kind of network that you've built up. You've talked about the characteristics and the skills that you have that have really propelled you and supported you into your achievement in your career. But what about the people and the support networks? Who has been most supportive of you and and who has really helped you in your career? I think I was very lucky I had a good boss at the ABC, one, one or two in particular who displayed real empathy with me. You know, they, they sort of understood me as a person. I think that was very important and they, I hate the term, but they had your back. When things mm. got difficult, they supported you. They challenged you. I think a good boss is somebody who challenges you but will support you. And, again, you did, you're, you had the ability to deal with very honestly. So I was very lucky and I, I remember a couple of, two or three people who were good, really good. In my own job, as the, I was the um, national political reporter with the ABC in Canberra. And I remember one woman who was just brilliant. She was actually the executive producer of a TV program called Late Line. I'll never forget it. She said to me, if you can't tell me the story, just think of the door, the lift door's closing. You've got seven seconds to tell me the story. What's the story? And at the end of that conversation, we had built a relationship. So, And I'm sure this happens if you're in business. What's your story? And then you build a rapport with that person. She knows what the story is. You know what the story is. You have a contract about what you're going to deliver. And she taught me that. So that was a very, very useful exercise. I'm not sure if I explained that very well, but you you had a contract with the person you were dealing with and there was trust and relationship and she trusted me to deliver the goods and I trusted her to respect the way I would go about doing that. That was very important. I didn't. I don't know that I, I suppose you could call her a mentor, but I don't really think I had any real mentors. I had a friend who was a senator, and I suppose she was the closest wow. to a mentor to me. She was a tough woman. But I think you'd have to be, wouldn't you, to be a woman senator, yeah. Egg you on and, and challenge you and, and always be supportive without knowing directly what you're doing. I think I had it in the agricultural network. I had people who were professionally I related to, but it's such a small area that you actually form friendships with them. But because you had such a good professional relationship, you could divide the two. And I think that's really, really important. Your professional relationship and your friend, your public relationship with people is very important, but you've got to be able to divide the two. And I think they were very important. Um, Curran was, was pretty good. 
I met a few people there. We set up a little book club there and that was that was fun. And the, the wire training was really quite good. Last year, as part of COVID, I did an oral history course with in America. It was in, based in Salt Lake City. It was an online course. Building those relationships was important. I'm not sure if I'm asked. And people like Georgie Somerset, I think I've known Georgie since the early 90s and right at the very beginning of her career in, in public life. And she's just sort of, she's quite an amazing woman. And it, it's, it, she's a professional acquaintance, but it's just she has that knack of being there for you when you need it. And I think that's very good. And some of those sort of people are really helpful. That's great. So if I might ask another question not related so far to what we've talked about, I was just wondering if you could please explain to us what you think or what you hope your impact would be in terms of your work, what you hope to achieve in and through your work? Well, as a journalist, I wanted to produce a bloody good radio program that was topical, was accurate, it set the news trend, it was engaging, it was informative, it was entertaining and people listened to it. (laughs) And it had integrity and and really strong values of balance. I mean, you know, that balance is incredibly important, that you have all sides of the picture and you let the audience make their decision about how they feel about the issue, whether it's whether it's climate change or the Murray-Darling Basin or whatever it is. Or And, and so I, that was professionally there. Mm-hmm. In terms of my um, current position, I don't want my brain to atrophy into nothing. <laughs> that, that, that is really, really important to me that, and that I, I think that, I, I didn't build up a broad network. I didn't do a lot of the things I should have done while I was professionally working. I, I know that there were, you know, I had, I, I used to get the emails from women on boards for years and I, and I got them and I always looked at them and I didn't really feel I had the skills to be there. And I think this is one of the things that probably I regret. I mean, I just didn't give it a go. I didn't give it a go and I probably should have done more leadership. I mean, these are all the regrets you have, but I didn't do that and I regret that. So that's sort of, and and the impact that I'd like to have apart from my my brain not atrophying, I'd like to sell some terrific stories that people enjoy and are entertaining, do the little bridge the city-country divide. I'd love to improve my writing skills because, as I said to you before, I loathe writing. I'd like to improve my writing skills and I'd like to do something, you know, in toward that little bridging the city-country divide. Hmm. Well, in many ways, continue to do what you've already been doing. Yeah, I have taken myself out of my comfort zone. Does that feel easier as we get older or is that more tricky, do you think? No, I think it's harder. I think Hmm. you have a lot of innate support that you actually don't understand when you're working in the city. I was listening to, um, I think it's Joe Pointer talking yesterday about working in the country and that's really what I'm doing here at home with my little stuff online and I miss having a support network that every time the computer stuffed up or I didn't know how to do something on the computer, I just ring up IT and they'd fix it for me. Now I've had to learn, which is really, that's been good. But not having that support work network has been really quite challenging for me at home. Mm. Um, I think I'm yeah. Just... So, do you think those challenges also speak to that kind of urban rural sort of divide as well? Do you think there are more challenges for women and for people more generally working and living in rural and regional environments? I think getting. Thinking taking the first step is probably harder, mm. but I honestly think you probably know more people in the country than you um, do in the city. I mm. think there are a lot of things that because you fundamentally got community communication, and that's where that you've got your own little network in the town. T- taking that first step is really really difficult, but if you could set it up and do one of these leadership programs like what you're doing, build that little work where you've got respect and trust and things like that you can bounce ideas off and you know I want to give this a go why don't you have a go and then other people to sort of give give you a little bit of feedback that's what I haven't done yet I haven't developed that format where I get feedback for the work that I do and I think I'm really craving that because I'm I'm one of those people who 
you know, I like to get seven out of ten. I like to know how I was doing at school. And I think that's really bad. You have to learn to judge your own performance. How am I going against my own criteria? But you've got to learn all those sorts of things. I think I did quite a good job. I could do better next time. What worked, you know, what what didn't work. But I think you've you've got a net. You've got some really strong things in the country. You've got a you've got the bush network. You've got to take that first step. You put a, put yourself in an environment where you can get feedback. You can learn. You can chat in a safe environment. Mm. And I think some of those things are really good. So. Look, obviously you've got people much closer to you in the city, but do you actually know them? Sometimes you don't. Hmm. Yeah, I often say to people, if people don't know who you are, what you want to do, what you can do, then then you won't get there. You won't, you know, you won't manage to achieve. So is the bravery, do you think, in literally telling the people that you know who you are and what you want to do and what you can do? Is it that first step? I was talking to you the other day and you said it's 50% about producing the product and 50% about marketing. I didn't really realise the ratio was that high. I really yeah, didn't. People don't, people don't know you've got a good. If people don't know that you've got an, a skill or a service or a product, they're not going to access it. Yeah, and I think I've got a really good product. I've just got to learn how to market it mm-hmm. or market yourself. Taking that step to sell yourself is yeah. really, really hard. And do, you, do you think that's gendered? Do you think women are not as good at, at that as men generally? I, th- I was lucky enough to grow up in a family where there was no issues about gender, really. Mm-hmm. If you want to have a go, have a go. So I think I was very lucky there. And I felt in my career maybe I was naive that I didn't realise there was gender bias. I remember the worst bias I ever experienced. So I wanted to file as a a story for AM, the ABC's AM. And the woman who was the EP, the woman who was the EP of the program said, oh, we can't run your story. You sound too rural. And I said, well, I said, I'm the effing rural reporter, pal. (laughs) (laughs) And I think I'll never forget that. It was just dreadful. I think that that has changed remarkably and I think there's a proactive attempt. If you want to get your story out at the moment, there's a proactive role within the ABC to get more rural stories, tell the stories, build that connection. I think that's really, really positive. But that was sort of like somebody cutting you down, you know, chopping you off at the knees when that was said to me and and, um, that was dreadful. It was really bad. And I didn't quite know how to respond. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I bet you bet you had some great responses later that night as it was running through your head. And my responses later that night are amazing, but I'm never fast enough in the moment. To well, get I remember was running for the Senate and she wanted me to have him on the program. I said, why should I have him on the program? This is a rural program. Get stuff. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, so I got my retribution a little bit there. <laughs> That's naughty, but it was it was a blow. And I think that you need to think about that. If you're a woman, how do you deal with it? What's your what's your fallback position? Mm-hmm. If you feel, I mean, I don't know what you think, Gar, but and I don't know what your listeners think. But I think it's a it's a worthy discussion to have. How do you deal with it when it comes from left field? What do you say? What do you do? How do you internalize it? Is it is it going for the man or is it going for the issue? I mean. Mm. Was that really why she didn't want my story? It was a bloody good story and it led AM the next day and they did run the stuff in the end. But I think you, that they're the sorts of things, how do you respond to that? Because mm-hmm. it's unacceptable. Yeah. It really is unacceptable in this day and age and I don't see it that much. You look at the number of women who are absolutely thriving in rural and regional Australia and, and, and doing some absolutely fantastic things and showing real leadership and are getting support in the bush and are lifting the game. I mean, it's not just about doing egg science, but it's running businesses and having their story told. And it's almost like it, it proactive efforts to encourage and support rural women in the bush, I think, are bearing fruit, and I think it's fantastic. Yeah, I agree. What I, when I encounter that, if I encounter that, the first thing that goes through my head is, would they, say, would they have said that to me if I was a man? 
And if I can categorically answer that with, no, they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have acted in that way or spoken to me in that way or said those words, then I challenge it. But if I can't know for certain, you know, if I don't, if I have a doubt, well, maybe they would have, then I address it differently. But I think it's a good kind of question to have in your mind, isn't it? Around, you know, would, would they have said that to my male counterpart? How do you deal with the unexpected? You know, how, how do you deal with that? And I think it's very important to not play the person, but yes. play the issue. Don't yes. go to them because they were they made some nasty gender based comment or mm-hmm. the fact that I was a rural reporter. Play the issue. Don't you mm-hmm. want to get a rural perspective on this? Or you know, sort of something something where you're not going for them. I think it's mm-hmm. that's important. And and that's about keeping your cool. Yeah, good. And what about women leaders more generally? Are there any particular women leaders that you really admire and respect? And if so, what leadership traits do they have that you most respect? I'm just thinking of a, a few people. Um, look, I, I, I do think Georgie Somerset and Fiona Simpson are great leaders. I, Kathy McGowan, who was the independent for Indi, was actually a friend of mine when I, I used to rock into her place when I was driving from Canberra to Melbourne. And I... I suppose in the old days I did a little bit of work for her when we were trying to encourage women in in give them some skills to deal with the media or those sorts of things. But it was that focus, that was sheer determination, um, and, it, and it wasn't blatant determination, but it was what the the sorts of characteristics that they had had they had values. Mm. They knew where they were going, what they believed in, and they they retained those values. It didn't matter what they were saying or what they're doing, but you it wasn't clear. Their integrity was intact. And they were inclusive. And I think that's really important. You know, if you're if you're a leader, you can you be a leader on your own? You can't really, you can lead the dog down the street, but you as a leader, you've got to have a team around you and you have to support that team. You have to recognize certain people's skills, certain people's weaknesses. How do you help them? You have to, uh, there's a, a understanding people is so important as a leader. How do you work with that person? How do you build teams that are going to work? How do you show respect, have empathy, give them opportunity? I mean, to me, those, you know, you look at people like Georgie or you can, Fiona Simpson, I don't know so much, but Kathy McGowan, giving people the opportunity and giving them the skills. I don't think you can change attitudes. I remember having discussions with reporters mm-hmm. I remember one young bloke who rang me and said, look, I really want to leave this job. And I said, and we spoke for about three hours, and I said, if it's an attitude thing, I really can't help that. But if it's your skills, I can help you there. And we spoke for about three hours. Anyhow, he, he did leave, but it was really good. And then a, a, a few years later when I, you know, several months later, he asked me to be a referee for him and he wanted to work for Medicine Sans Frontier. Oh, yeah. And he got the job. And then when I joined LinkedIn this last year, he wrote me a note. And he'd been in Iraq, Afghanistan, and in Tanzania as as and during COVID. And he said, some of those conversations that I had with you where you gave me the time and we spoke and talked were the most important in my life. And I was incredibly chuffed about it. He's this wow. bloke. He was in charge of their effort efforts in Afghanistan and, and Iraq and I think it was certainly Afghanistan but and in Tanzania and they're really important conversations that you need to have where you you give the time, you listen and you talk to people and give them the opportunity. Yeah, that's very resonant, you know, the, the gift of time and mm. truly listening. We're pretty time poor, aren't we? We, we live in a, I would say, a pretty time poor kind of era but there are some things that can't be rushed and shouldn't be rushed. And, and that was a beautiful story that reminds us again that had you not necessarily invested that time, that person may not have reached his full potential and also then gone on to contribute in the way that he did so positively in the rest of his kind of career. So you, you never really know the impact that you mm. will have, but, it, but investing that time is obviously incredibly important to other people's life journeys as well. I sort of wrote down a few dot points there. Admiring female leaders, that they're focused, they've got a vision, 
They've got values. They've got integrity. They're clear thinkers. They're inclusive. They're hardworking. They're team players. They, you know, prepared to build a team. They're prepared to delegate. They're prepared to trust people and they give feedback. Um, That they're fair. They're selfless. They're constantly adaptable. See, I believe resilience is not about stoicism. I think it's about adaptability. But they want to move forward. You know, you see people who are leaders and they really want to move forward. Even if they're challenged by change, they sort of willingly or unwillingly accept it but move with it. That shows the um, what I call resilience, adapting. And um, they've got hopefully good organisational skills, which I don't have. Um, All right. <laughs> And, you know, they're able to deal with challenges head on, whether it's confrontation or disagreement or whatever sort of thing. So you, but there's some of the traits that I just sort of jotted down this morning mm. that are really important in leadership. Yeah. And, and what's beautiful about those is that they're almost the opposite of ego, aren't they? You yeah. Know, there's nothing there that's actually about putting oneself first or putting one's own interests first. If it's values first, it's very different because values are not your own personal interests. They're your own kind of moral and ethical landscape, if you like, or framework. And, and so I, I really like that, that to be a good leader actually is not necessarily about putting yourself first, but putting your values first mm-hmm. and maybe at times others in front of yourself as well. I remember talking to Karen Tully. I did one of my podcasts with her, and Karen's an amazing woman. She's a financial mm. counselor, and she's so she she's made a career of being on boards, and she's the head of Southwest um, Health now. So heaven help us when COVID comes to Queensland. But <laughs> in Western Queensland, that she's she's got responsibility for that. But she's taken on board roles at several levels. And she spoke about women in country areas. If you want to go down the leadership role, just try something, baby steps. Get on the PNC for the swimming school or the local PNC. Nice. Just try little steps and then if you, you know, just build up to it. And if you can do, and I've never done it, but if you can get the organisation that you're working with to support you to do one of those leadership courses or the... You know, the, they call them the you know leadership uh, running businesses and governance and those courses. But just take baby steps. If you think you might be interested, give it a go. If you're not, don't go there. I was talking to a woman the other day. It was actually Nikki Marnie who I wrote the story about, and she's involved in the ICPA, the Isolated Children's Parents Association, and she said she loves it. And she loves it because it's a really focused group of really like-minded people. And she felt that was her level. She needed to work in a really supportive environment if she was going to take on a board role or a leadership role in that group. Mm. And she felt that's what I can do at this particular present point in time. She wasn't really putting herself necessarily in that out of her comfort zone because of a whole range of other things that were going on in her life. And I think you need to recognise that. You know, you don't always have to take yourself out of your comfort zone if you're wanting to try something. Just little baby steps and get a supportive network around you and then build up to it. So I thought that was really what Karen Tully said. The other really funny thing that Karen Tully said to me, I was talking to her, she said, politicians will always um, defer to a bush from, woman from the bush who wears stilettos. <laughs> Don't forget to use your charm. You know, it, I mean, it may not sound terribly feminist, but you're living in a male chauvinistic world, and so don't forget to use your talents. And I think that's that really great. <laughs> but maybe they also know that there's deep integrity to what that person would have to say as well, and that there's, you know, yeah, logic. The thing, about, the thing about the ICPA is this friend I was talking about before who's a senator, she said they knew their stuff. They were the best lobby group that ever came to Canberra because they presented politicians with solutions to their problems and that's one of the things that women leaders should do. Don't go to somebody with a problem, give them a solution. They were well prepared, they knew the solutions, they were organised and they, you know, used the time frame, even if they did wear their stilettos. <laughs> but she said that was what, that's what you need to do. If you want to be a leader and you want to, you know, deal with government or the local council, don't present them with problems, present them with solutions. 
Well, that's amazing because my last question today, Robin, was literally going to be, what strategic communication advice would you offer an emerging professional? So that strategic communication advice is offer solutions. Is that right? Yeah. Understand how the medium works. I think, look, my knowledge of social media is pretty abysmal, to be honest. I mean, I use Facebook and I use Instagram and I use Twitter. But that sounds pretty impressive, actually. No, it's not. It's not impressive. I mean, how many photos of my dog can you have on social media? <laughs> um, but I think you've got to understand how you've got to be up to date. How does how does local government get their information? Mm. How, do, how does the local council get their information? If you want to promote your product, what is in, and you're in Stansel or mm. you're in Inglewood or you're in or or you're down at St George, you know what what's the tool? What's the best tool there? And know your audience. I mean, I think they always say it. have a have a picture of the person that you want to sell the product to, and how do they get their information? And how do you and find they, that out? Well, I've I've had problems with that. <laughs> I want to do a, a podcast about golfing in regional Queensland. So I think I've got a demographic there, you know, 50-plus women who like playing golf. Yeah. But when I do my podcast about rural women, I, I'm really not sure who the audience is and that's why I feel that I haven't made success there in terms of really flogging the product. I, and I think you have to be disciplined. I really do. I think you, you need to set up your... Who, who's your audience? How do they communicate? Have your timetable? All the sorts of things that you do when you're trying to put a radio program to air. You know, you've got a deadline. You have to meet that deadline. There is no way that you don't meet the deadline. And the other thing too that I think is really important, and I think this is where I need to to work on, if you, if you don't understand the job, employ a professional. You can't do everything. Play to your skills. Recognise what your deficiencies are. And get someone to help you in those areas. Don't try and do everything because it's so self-defeating, really. Yeah, and you're not able to really utilise the amazing skills that you have got if you're really struggling with some of those that you're still trying to develop, I think. Mm. And just give it a go. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the most important thing. You can only fail. Give it a go. And nobody's going to worry. Yeah. Nobody of any worth. Well, you, you, you've actually got, if you're on the golf course, you've actually got to do that part. You can't just stand there looking at it. But <laughs> you lose your confidence when you do and you get it in or you do a dreadful shot. You've actually got to do it. So why not give it a go? That's a great analogy, isn't it? I just, <laughs> you just got to hit the ball. Well, even if you're in the bunker, you, somehow or other you've got to get it out. <laughs> it's not about yeah. the end two-stroke penalty, if you like. <laughs> I love that. Thank you. So I don't have any other questions. It's been a gorgeous conversation to have with you today, Robin. Was there anything else that you wanted to tell me or any of our listeners around any of the issues that we've talked about, whether it's leadership, career journeys, values, women in rural Australia? Was there anything else that you wanted to talk about? I think it would be really good, and I'm sure the people who are watching or listening or reading this, we really do need to have a sort of like a compendium of who to go to for what information. And I feel that's really what I would like to see, you know, any network doing. If you, if you really need a, um, in, in rural Australia for rural women, you know, a go-to list. Yeah. If there's one there, I'd love to know where it is. No, I don't know. So if but any of your listeners do, yeah. And once I, when I was doing the podcast, I put up, a note, and I think Amanda Salisbury, who's just a fabulous, she's got the best blog, which the National Library actually broadcast about. And what's it called? Well, it's called Bush Bay Evolves. Yeah. And the classic example of how good that was is it, she was a bit of a pioneer with blogging hmm. and she's also very involved in Who Got the Rain and Better Internet for Rural and Regional Remote Australia. There's three of Who Got the Rain and Better Internet for BIRRR, I think, are the two best websites, Facebook pages that I know of, that are doing really, really useful things in the bush. But I said, I said to Amanda, is there a, a list of rural podcasts? Because there are millions of them. There are not millions of them. There are lots of them. Or is there a go-to list for information about rural women who want to set up a business? Where do I go? And I think that would be really, really helpful. 
to people for people to comply with. It's in their local area. But with, you know, Zoom and everything else, it really could be state or national or international. Yeah. No, that's excellent. Thank you. I would I'd certainly support that. It's, it's got legs, hasn't it? We'd all be looking at that list a lot, I think. Need an internet guru to do it for you. Yeah. <laughs> well, again, I haven't got those skills, so we'd have to <laughs> you get somebody in with that skill set. I think yeah, last time we had a conversation. But you've got to yeah. what, what do people want? Yeah. And then you've got people out there who know that they do it, and then you just have to put it together. Yeah. Like it works. It's brilliant. Yeah, and it's connecting, isn't it? It's what we do in our job. It's connecting people and connecting need with with support or service. I love it. Last time we had a conversation, I was telling you about the fact that I'm not very good at sewing the badges on my children's uniforms. You know, when they get this, they get a badge for being a good citizen in school. And I outsource that. I take that to my local dry cleaners and they sew them off. So I think that you're right. I think sometimes you just have to know what your what your strengths are, what what your strengths are not, and outsource accordingly. And then and then hopefully we can use our time more effectively as well. Oh, Robin, it's been a joy talking with you today. Thank you so much for the time and your insights, but also thank you for your continued work in this space of researching, telling the stories, and giving a voice to people that had not necessarily had that voice before you gave that platform to them. So. We're really indebted to the work that you do. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Gail. And good luck to all your team. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks, Robin. Thank you so much for listening to the Real Rural Women's Leadership podcast series. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd be delighted if you would take a couple of minutes to rate and review our podcast on your chosen listening platform. If you'd like to learn more about this series or get in touch with us, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so via our website at www.realruralwomensleadership.com, where you'll also find links to our Facebook, Twitter and Instagram accounts. Thanks again for listening.